So the two morning congregations survived. I'm sure you will too. Don't worry. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to get used to this first part of God's Word for a while. I'm so excited. I'm going on leave tomorrow. Yes. So, last round. Buckle up. So, we have been in a place as a church that has been a, a heart-searching but so helpful time. I have been incredibly challenged because I realized how easy we can miss what we were created for. I tell you not what you created for. You were created for Jesus. It says, through him all things were made and for him were all things made in Colossians 1. Your life is made for him. And because it's made for him, he is where you find all your delight. He's where you find all your satisfaction. It's not the people in this room. It's not the beauty of this building or Nateska's fantastic voice. <laughs> Do you know who it is? It's Jesus. You know why I love the honor of what I get to do tonight is I get to point you to him. And this thing of love in three dimensions that God is calling our church to, let me tell you, we never leave it. We are called to love Christ, to love up, to make him our first love. And someone said to me this morning a profound thing. She said, you know, it's not just returning to your first love. For some tonight, you'll discover him as your first love for the first time. And the beauty of our love for Jesus is it connects us to each other. When you start to love Jesus, you start to love what he loves, and he loves you. <laughs> he loves his church. And you start to love him because you want to be with his people, because where his people are, there he is. And you want to love out because you start to gain the heart of God for those that have not encountered Jesus like you have. He so satisfies your soul. When you see the world around you saying you haven't discovered how awesome he is, that's a person who's the most persuasive, is a person who's been persuaded by the love of Christ in their own hearts. That's why what we're doing is so important. He has to define who we are as a church. If you are tired of church, you've missed Jesus. If you are fatigued in your walk with the Lord, you've missed him. And these things that we're talking about, this love, love always deals with the heart. And it is difficult because our heart attaches ourselves to things other than Jesus. That's why there's preaching. It is a call to fix our eyes on him. Week after week, you will hear me preach on the Sermon on the Mount, and it will have one thing coming out. And it is the motivation of the entire Sermon on the Mount is where are you with Jesus? Is he the passion of your life? It's all that matters. 
I say to you tonight, why? Because this world is passing away. I'll remind you again that unless you think spiritually about your life, it's what Paul says, fixing your eyes on what is unseen, we'll miss it. Because everything that we praise in this world and that we pride ourselves in, it's passing away. The only thing that's going to stand is what you have done and whether you've believed in Jesus. The very first point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' first beatitude is there's such a thing as a kingdom of heaven. And it is the kingdom that's going to stand forever. And you have to be ready for it. And those that are seeking it are those that are going to prosper. And what I mean by prosper is they are going to be the ones that are going to experience the comfort that we're going to talk about tonight. And unfortunately, let me tell you, this has not been a comfortable sermon to preach. Because like Artie Kendall says, you have to go down first before you can go up. And so I want to remind you that these Beatitudes that we are looking at tonight... They are so important because they describe what a disciple of Jesus looks like. That's the point of the Sermon on the Mount. His disciples came to Jesus. They were eager to be close to him. And if you are eager to live close to Jesus in your life, these are the things that are going to start happening in you. They are the work of the Holy Spirit. You cannot pursue or know Jesus without being sensitive to the Holy Spirit in his leading in your life. And if you want to please Jesus, you are standing in line to be led by the Spirit. They are not natural. They are the fruit. They are the byproduct of your pursuit in Jesus. And that is why blessed means congratulations. When you start to see these things in your life, Jesus calls you blessed, congratulated, because you're moving forward in the things of God. Is that something you're motivated by? I want to know if I'm going in the right direction with Jesus. And these Beatitudes says, if you see these things in your life, happy are you, lucky are you. God has not passed you over. He's answered your prayer for more. And they follow a pattern. They move from discomfort to blessing. And they are like a ladder. You'll see the reason why the first beatitude is so important is because the second one builds on it. It is an extension of the first. But they are also a building. We never graduate from being poor in spirit. Never. The longer you're a Christian, the more you need Jesus. And last week, Last week, we looked at the first beatitude. was, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is the most important of all. Unless you see the way God sees you, the kingdom of heaven is shut. And we said the way God sees you and me on the inside, the spirit with a small s, is we are in desperate poverty before him. Our great problem as human beings is that we think we are so impressive to God because we think we are so impressive to the world around us. We said last week we have to be very careful. And let me tell you, I do not want to preach another sermon like that for a long time. Because it was as if God was opening up and saying, this is what I see, Matt. The thing that we struggle with as a church is pride. It's pride. And pride is an inflated view of ourselves. And it blocks the work of the kingdom. If you do not have poverty of spirit, you will have no need for Jesus because you'll think you're enough. And can I say last week, it was a spiritual experience for me. I walked down from this pulpit with a profound sense of how seriously God takes pride. 
Do you know it is the only sin that has the consequence of God opposing you? He says he opposes the proud. Oh, but he gives grace to the humble. And that's what we want here. We want to be a church that loves and needs Jesus. And in order for that to happen, we have to see ourselves. And let me tell you, I was in a bit of agony this week because I wasn't sure if you're going to come back. But Christ comforted me. Because he said, Matthew, I can work with brokenness. I can't work with pride. Jesus was so tough. To who? The sinners and tax collectors? No, he loved them because they knew they needed him. He could work with brokenness. We must not be afraid of being broken before God. We're so afraid of it because we're so afraid of being broken in the eyes of the world. But he was tough on those Pharisees. Can I read you a few things he said to them? Would you like to hear? Or must I rather move on? Read them. Thanks, Kath. Right. He called them whitewashed tombs. So good on the outside, but so dead on the inside. He called them snakes and brood of vipers. Not the kind of language I'd like to use. But you see, this is something we must realize. God never strokes pride. He never nurses it because it opposes him. It sets you up to resist him. And it sets him up to resist you. Because you will not come to Jesus. You will not say what you really like inside. You have no need for him. And if that is you, let me tell you something. People, pride makes you unreachable. And tonight, how do you know if last, night was, if last week was effective in your life? How do you know if you are poor in spirit? It is beatitude number two. Blessed are those who mourn. Ah, for they shall be comforted. You see, if you mourn after last week, it means you saw yourself as you really are. And you're in line for comfort. And this beatitude number two is an extension of number one. And so let's dive in tonight. This beatitude number two says, Blessed, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And John Stott rightly translates it. It's the weirdest way you can say it, but it's right. It says, happy are those who are unhappy. I'll say it again. Happy are those who are unhappy. Unhappy with what? Unhappy with the way they see themselves inside. And unhappy with the way they see the world around them. Church, can I tell you tonight, the Christian, the Christian is somebody who experiences mixed emotions in this life. What Jesus is saying here is radical. He's opening up the way for there to be mourning in the life of a Christian. How often do you hear that? And you know what struck me? The most, one of the most profound things out of the sermon for my own life. And remember, we're not talking about physical mourning, the death of a loved one. We're talking about spiritual mourning. It is this. That this mourning is so absent in the church today. I grew up and I am the byproduct of this thinking that in church, everything has to be hyper happy. Happy, 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 happy. Yes, praise Jesus, all the lights, all the smoke machines. Everything must be so happy, happy, happy all the time. It's exhausting. It is so superficial. 
You know, I often wonder, what is it like from somebody who faces the real world, who comes in here to Sterling and looks around? Hyper-happiness is being out of touch with reality. In this life, we mourn. And I'll put it to you tonight, that a Christian is a person who's weighty, who has gravity to their life. They have gravitas because they are in touch with reality. We don't run away from it. And it's so different in the church today. And I will have to put it to you like this. The Christian has to first experience pain before they can experience true joy. And this is not half a happiness. This is joy unspeakable and full of glory. You know how you become a Christian? It's when the Holy Spirit shines on your rotten life that's just as rotten as mine. And he says, this is what you really like. It's so painful. Last week was painful to preach. It wasn't fun. Because the expose of the human heart, it's wicked. And it needs a savior. And the savior has to come in. But your first experience is one of pain. If you have never experienced pain in the sight of your sin, you are not saved. Only a person who experiences pain can be comforted. And the profound thing about this beatitude is that there is a difference in the time frame of the first beatitude and the second. Don't you notice the first one said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. It's immediate. And tonight, if you are feeling like a person who came in on the outside, when you hear me talk about Jesus being precious to a person, you don't have an understanding of that, but you can understand, like so few others, that you're a broken person and that you're not a perfect person. And in actual fact, you've made horrendous mistakes. You've done terrible things that nobody knows. Only God. If you are able to see that and say, I want Christ, my friend, the kingdom is yours tonight. Tonight. You don't work for this. Youth, you don't work for it. You don't attain five youths on a Friday night and put your hand up six times and you're saved. If you can see your sin, you can experience this thing of sin. You can see Jesus, the kingdom is yours if you reach out to him now. Born again, citizen of heaven, new heart, new life, new home. New privileges. Ah, but wait. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. There's a gap. Do you know that there is space in your life to experience pain? And have to wait for comfort. Friends, tonight, do not be afraid of pain in your life. God is able to use it powerfully. And I'm tempted to preach the whole sermon just on that. But I want to say to you, unless you embrace pain as a Christian, you cannot grow. And what does it mean to mourn? Mourn, it means to experience loss and grief, but primarily it is pain. And pain because of what? Now, I know that I said that, that mourning is a spiritual mourning that Jesus is talking about. It's not necessarily the death of a loved one. Those who attained a princess Diana's funeral, they were not mourning spiritually. But there is a correlation, and this is how it works. Is when a loved one dies, any of you here experienced the death of a loved one? 
I have. Is the first thing that happens is you deny it. How can this be? You block the reality of the absence in your life. You push back against it and you go, I refuse to receive this truth that this person is never coming back. And then what happens is you get angry. You get angry at the person who killed the person in a car crash or angry at God for taking them before their time or angry at yourself because it was your mistake. You get angry. But my friend, you don't start to mourn until you come to the place of embracing reality that this person is never coming back. No excuses. No blaming. No escapism. This is just how it is. That's mourning. It's when you receive, you accept reality as it is. And there are two sources of mourning in the Christian's life. The first is sin. And it's sin in us and sin in the world around us. And I'm going to unpack that because it's important. But the second, and I cannot leave it out because it's so important, is suffering. Do you know you can suffer and not have sinned? Jesus is the perfect example of this. Hebrews 5 verse 8 says, Though he was the Son of God, he learned obedience through what he suffered. I'm going to look at that too. So let's dive into this thing of sin being a source of mourning. The first aspect of sin is sin in us. It's we mourn when God shows us what we really like inside and how deep our sin goes. And it is painful. It is receiving reality as it really is. It is accepting what God says as saying, yes, you're right. It's not fun. And if there is no mourning, then there's no first beatitude in operation. There's no poverty of spirit. There's still blaming. There's still excusing. There's still deflection. There's still pride. But when it hits you of what you're really like before God, that you are poor, you mourn. And let me tell you, the comfort comes immediately even there. Because anytime God shows you sin in your life, it is grace operating. I had a good chuckle to myself in preparing for tonight because I remembered a story in Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 that Jesus tells. He asked the Pharisees, these lovely Pharisees that he gave such a hard time, he said, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? You know how hard it is to see a speck in somebody's eye? Am I talking to myself here? Hey, yes. But he says, you do not see the log, the giant log that's sticking in your eye. It's, it's funny. You can laugh. What does he mean? Do you know what Artie Kendall taught me? He says, you don't need the Holy Spirit to see another person's sin. That's why we point the finger. That's why there's gossip columns. Everybody loves to read about everybody, others, everybody else's mess. You don't need the Holy Spirit to see another person's sin. You can even see the speck in their eye. But the log, God help us. Literally. Out. Grace. To see. And when that happens... Last week, if you were mourning like myself, stepping off the pulpit saying, God, oh, Lord, congratulations. The Holy Spirit has worked in your life and you can see what is so hard. Everybody else can see it. 
It's the funniest thing. Everybody else can see the speck, but the log. No, no, no. We mourn because the kingdom has not yet fully come in you and me. We are not yet as we ought to be. But the second source of mourning is sin in the world. We mourn because things are not as they ought to be in the world around us. And we know this instinctively as Christians. When you look at the indifference towards Christ and rebellion against God in the world, we mourn. When we see the damage to the environment, every time I see BBC, I read BBC's articles, news app, I love it, but I skip the nature sessions or the nature articles because they talk about giant circles of plastic in the ocean. I think to myself, what is my Sarah going to grow up in? Romans 8's creation is groaning, burying a loved one. Anybody sits in a funeral and say this should not have happened. Poverty, violence, hunger, suffering, sickness, aging, the decline of spirituality in the church. We see this as Christians and we mourn because we say this should not be. And it is because the kingdom has not come yet fully in this earth. And if, can I say to you, you can mourn for the world around you, the first beatitude is operating in your life. Because it's only somebody who has been emptied of themselves that actually can look around them and say, this is the problem. You're moving forward. But the third source, or second source of mourning is suffering. And we can suffer for wrong, but we can suffer for what is right. Did you hear that? We can suffer for what is wrong, but we can also suffer for what is right. It doesn't necessarily come because of sin. Here's Job. Remember the guy Job? What does God say about him when Satan comes into his presence? He says, here is a man more righteous than anybody else. When God put Job through suffering, he was testing, proving that righteousness. It wasn't sin. Sin came out later. He got a bit self-righteous and he had to forgive his friends. But friends, tonight, you have to realize being a Christian and pursuing Jesus is going to lead you into suffering where you will be misunderstood. You'll be rejected because of obedience to Christ, you'll be persecuted. It's painful. It makes you mourn. And when we suffer in a trial, we embrace the pain of being in need. That is what a trial is. It's being in need and waiting for God to come through for you. Belinda, you shared tonight, let me tell you, financial need can be one of the, one of the worst. Trust God. But it's painful. I guarantee you, I know in the ministry, you have sleepless nights. When the finance thing comes through, you come to God and you say, God, unless you come through, what are we going to do? It's painful. And the problem is this. Pain can come through financial, physical, relational, emotional, spiritual trial. And the temptation is to tap out. Why? We want to tap out from the trial because we don't like the pain. It wouldn't be called suffering without it. But if this is happening to you, I want to say you're blessed. You're blessed. So if you Christians take up the call to go through the trial. You want a glorious Christianity. You want a kind of relationship with Jesus that reflects him more and more. You're going to face trial because Jesus wasn't spared. Why should we be? We mourn. But that's not the point entirely of the whole sermon. The point is how then does the comfort come? Well, I'm going to deal with those three individually. Sin in us, sin in the world, and suffering. The first is sin in us. 
The comfort is we experience, please hear that word, we experience forgiveness. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it like this. When we see our sin, it casts us down and makes us mourn. Ah, but that in turn drives us to Christ. And the moment he goes back to Christ, his peace and happiness return, and he's comforted. 1 John 1 verse 8 puts it like this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That means the beatitude number one, blessed are the poor in spirit, has not been operating. If you say tonight, I have no sin, you're deceived. You can't see. The Holy Spirit needs to shine into your life and show you what you're already like before God. It is the absence of poverty of spirit. Ah, but here's the game changer. 1 John 1 verse 9, the very next verse. Ah, if, there's the condition. If we confess our sin, if we can see and bring it to God. In other words, it means this. If we are able to say, God, you are right. I am wrong. Please forgive me. He'll do the following. He says, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does it mean when it says God will be faithful to you? It means every single time you come and confess your sin, he'll be faithful to forgive. Not once, not twice, not 50 times, not 100 times. He will faithfully forgive, forgive, forgive those who come and confess their sin before him. The second thing is what he will do is he's just. He's not only faithful, but he's just. In other words, That sense of shame and guilt that you feel when sin comes into your life, it's painful. That sense of separation from God and rejection that you, well, the enemy uses, it's painful. It's not real. You aren't rejected. But the enemy makes you feel that way. What does it mean he is just? It means that experience of feeling the shame, the shame, the guilt The distance from God was poured out in Jesus. And so when you come to him, he doesn't pour the punishment out on you. He pours it on Jesus. So not only is he faithful to forgive, but that experience of sin, that pollution of sin, that feeling of the after effects of sin, he's poured it out on Christ. And if you come and say, God, please forgive me, he'll cleanse you and he will say, in my justice, I'm setting you free because Christ has satisfied me. It's amazing. But in pride, we want to walk the punishments. I'll get to that point in a moment. Not only is he faithful and just, but he cleanses us. So many of us here tonight, if I had to peel away, the half of happiness is you've got a guilty conscience before God. And there are quiet accusations all the time running through your head that the enemy throws at you. Let me tell you, when you experience, it is an experience, forgiveness. It is a cleansing that is the most amazing thing. It quietens your conscience. It quietens your heart. You literally feel clean 
and he cleanses us from what? From all unrighteousness. You know, that's the kicker for me, is when I started to think about the fact that maybe I still have some, maybe I didn't confess it enough. Maybe I'm going to run back to it. Maybe there's going to be something in me that I haven't quite seen and God's going to reject. He says, no, he's going to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So when he sees you, you are totally right with him. Why is this such a little experienced reality in your life and in mine? It is because we struggle to forgive ourselves. You see, all of this happens when you confess it to God. But in your experience, you can't let yourself go. When I was preparing this morning, I felt the most important thing God laid on my heart is that so many of us here can't forgive ourselves. So many of us here are struggling with regret. You slept with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You've lost your virginity. You can't get it back. Parents here, you divorced, and your kids have suffered for, with it for your whole life. You know the guilt of what that is like every day. Some of you cheated on your wife. Some of you stole from your boss. Let me tell you, when you start to uncover the human heart, the most wicked, dark things are uncovered. And let me tell you, it is the world of regret. But I put it to you tonight. Are you more holy than God? Are you more righteous than Him? Are you wiser than Him? If he releases you and says, I will hold it against you no more. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sin from you. What right do we have to hold on to it? Freedom is offered. You receive it. When Satan comes to you because he never forgets. When he comes to you and says, this is what you've done. You remind Satan where he's going. You tell him Christ has died. He is just. God has sworn by Christ that he will forgive me. And that means I am acceptable to him. I am totally right with God. And I remind you what the root of not forgiving yourself is. It's pride. I should have been better. I should have done that. And what pride does means we can't let it go wild because we want to try and fix it. There's only one person who can fix it. It is Jesus Christ and it's glorious. You know what the scariest thing for me as a young parent is? Forgive me, youth. I know you're not there yet, but remember this. Is I am going to cause damage in my daughter's life. I will. I am going to have to forgive my best efforts because they will not be perfect. Did you hear what Dave prayed? Thank you, Lord, that we are not perfect, but you've given us a perfect Savior. Some of you have not had a good night's sleep in months. Some of you can't eat. Some of you can't stop eating. Some of you, I'm a pharmacist. Let me tell you, I see the effects of a guilty conscience. It employs me. 
you will be surprised by how many people can't live with themselves. That's not for the Christian. The comfort is total forgiveness from God. And what you do is you speak it. Once you've brought it to God, you tell yourself, this is what I have to do because I have a very sensitive conscience. After last week's sermon, the whole of this week, I felt like, man, I'd failed. But you know what you do? You say, Matthew, you are forgiven. Matthew, you are totally acceptable to God. Matthew, you are loved by the Father. Nothing can separate you from that love. You get up in this pulpit and you preach because he's with you. You say it. But there's long, there's two more great, amazing comforts. It's how do we cope when we see the world around us? Let me tell you, when I think about my Sarah and my Elijah, what kind of school they're going to go to? What kind of environment they're going to be in? When I look at the world around me, I ask myself some serious questions. I ask myself, what is going to happen in the world? Because any thinking person can see the problems. Not so? Not hyper happy. We're in touch with reality. <laughs> and this creation is groaning. This world is dying, according to Scripture. And so are our bodies. Let me tell you, I can't wait for a resurrection body. This body is such a weight upon me. And there is going to come a day when this old body and this broken world are going to pass away. And it is not long now till all things will be restored. There'll be no death. There'll be no suffering. There'll be no sin. There'll be no wickedness. We're going to be with Jesus. And on that day, God will vindicate his name among the nations and yours as well. I ask you tonight, what comfort does this world offer? Has science and knowledge offered comfort? I tell you, it's failed. Has capitalism, be as rich as you can, it's failed. Pleasure-seeking, youth, let me tell you, that is where we are right now. We've abandoned science, we've abandoned religion, we've abandoned all forms of self-control. All that matters is we're animals, we need to have all our appetites met. Let me tell you, it leads to destruction. The more you run after your appetites, the more empty you feel. That's why you feel so empty. It fails. Materialism, it's failed. Our environment is groaning in the midst of our greed. Ah, but the Christian, the Christian is Christ in us, the hope of glory, in sickness, in lack, in loss. We have Jesus. This world is dying, but a new world's coming, and we're going to be in it. What comforts? We embrace the pain now because Paul says the future glory is not going to compare. So future, these sufferings are going to compare with, compare with blah, 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 future glory. Stay with me here. I'm, I'm heading home. Amen, amen, amen. Can I say tonight, how much do you think about heaven and the new earth? How much do you realize that this world is not where you find your comfort and security? It's passing away. You find it in Christ. And the Christians of the past called it a blessed hope. Don't worry if the world criticizes you and mocks you for this hope. There are many doctors here. I'm a scientist as well. Everybody wants to ask for a rational reason. There's space for that. But let me tell you this. You hold to Jesus even if you're ridiculed for it. Do you know why? 
Because Luke says, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus himself says this. He says, those who laugh, they'll weep. Those who refuse to be comforted with Christ in this life, they will mourn on that day. The Christian embraces the pain of following Jesus because we will laugh on that day. When they mock you, you tell yourself, well, you'll laugh now, but you will mourn then. God will have the final say. You get on with Jesus. You love people, you love him. You serve him to the best of your ability. The world must decide what they do with Jesus, just like you've had to do. But remind yourself, even the Christian who wants to laugh in this world and embrace sin and reject Jesus, Christians do that. They make terrible messes of their lives. They will weep on that day because 1 Corinthians 3 says they will suffer loss. Though they themselves will be saved as through fire. But for the Christian who embraces this pursuit of Jesus, who lives for him, he says, whatever you bring into my life, I'll endure it for you. I'll be willing to be mourned in order to be comforted. In your life, you will start to experience what Jesus did at his baptism. That same word for comfort in the scripture is the word for the Holy Spirit in the noun form, the paraclete. You will start to experience in your life, this side of the grave, Jesus saying, well done, good and faithful servants. You'll start to experience the Spirit's power and His presence in your life. Let me tell you, when you are so rejected by the world, you are so received by Christ. There are people here who have gone through deep pain and they've known what it's like to experience the comfort of Jesus. I wouldn't give it up for anything. Let me tell you, the last two years have been hell. I wouldn't give it up for anything because it's given me Christ. I'm willing to embrace it for the comforts of what's to come and for the comfort now. This is the Christian. We're getting ready for glory. Tonight you must settle what you live for. You might not like it, but I'll say it again. Jesus does not care what people think about you. He sympathizes with the pain. But what is Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, you fix your eyes on who? Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. It might be some weeping. It's only for a time. Let me tell you, the kingdom of God does not move forward without pain. Some of you are wanting to start initiatives. It's sacrifice. It's hard. When you have to give up a relationship that you know is not pleasing to Jesus, it's painful. When you have to get out of a situation because you know Christ is not pleased, it's painful. Do it. Do it now. Do it tonight. You'll experience the comfort that nothing in this world can give you. Blessed, blessed are those who mourn. For they'll be comforted. They'll be comforted. In this life. And the glory of the next. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, tonight we don't want anything except you. And Lord, we recognize tonight that you're a God who's able to reach even into pain and comfort. And tonight there's pain here that, Lord, you want to minister to you. And some of us have run so hard to get away from it. We've run to friends. We've run to work. We work ridiculous hours. We run to pleasure. But Jesus, tonight we recognize that you want to reach into us where there's pain. We are not unscathed in this world, Lord. You know that. We get hurt. We hurt. We fall. We're far from perfect. And it's painful for us, Lord. But tonight, I'm so grateful there's comfort. For those of us tonight, Lord, that have struggled with forgiveness received, forgiveness of ourselves, Lord, I pray tonight that no one would leave this place without a sense of release. No more self-hatred. No more cutting. No more suicidal thoughts. None of that desperation, Lord, we pray. Would you reach into pain tonight? Would you comfort? And for some of us here, we are so angry. We are so angry at somebody who's hurt us. Just like we can hate ourselves, Lord, we can hate those that hurt us. I pray tonight for those, anybody in that place tonight that you would release them. That they would see just how much, just how much you have forgiven. And that they can release to you. And I pray, Lord, for those tonight that are in the midst of a trial. Some of us here are desperate. It's been a long haul. You've been in need a long time. Jesus, would you reach into that pain tonight? Would you comfort? Would you say, I'm with you? I'm not going to leave you. We're going to walk through this one step at a time. I love you, I love you, I love you. I will not abandon you. I will be your comfort. It will not last forever.
We love you, Jesus. We love you. Amen.